you are new with us, my name is Danny and I'm one of the pastors here. If you are streaming with us today, I am grateful that you are here with us as well. Thank you for joining us on this, on this, fine, uh, on this fine Palm Sunday weekend. Uh, a couple things real quick. Uh, our church had its very first actual gathering, actual service 12 years ago, uh, Palm Sunday. So 12 years ago this Sunday, our church started to exist. Yep. <laughs> But I'm a, I'm a mover of people, right? This is part of my thing. I like to, I like to create momentum, and, and I, I like to make sure everybody knows what's going on. So when I opened the church, I did something called a soft launch where the church didn't really exist. That way we could try stuff and not be accountable. <laughs> it's a true story. That's what I told them. I'm like, let's see how this goes. So we, we opened on Palm Sunday, but we weren't a, an actual official church till I think October, October 4th is our church's anniversary, which my, my launch team hated because... It was like, no, we opened on Palm Sunday. And I'm like, no, no, we weren't a real church until October. So I celebrate the church's anniversary in October along with whatever celebration we do. But our internal staff celebrates the church's anniversary this weekend, especially Pastor Keith. He's the most bothered, our children's pastor, by the whole way we did it. And so uh, if you see him, when you pick up your kids, make sure and wish him a happy 11 and a half year anniversary. Because <laughs> he's like, yeah, 12 years. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like in October. So uh, it's kind of a big deal either way for us. So uh, I'm excited that you're here. Thank you for being here. Um, this is our very first Palm Sunday in our own service. And next week will be our very first Easter in our own building, I should say. And uh, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, a, a lot of years coming and uh, a lot of we hopes. Those of you who've traveled with us the last three years, thinking every year was going to be the year. And uh, this, this year seems to be it. And so I just want to take a minute and thank everybody that has been supportive, everybody that has been a part of the journey, everybody that has, uh, that has uh, made this their church home. It's, it's a really special thing, and, and, uh, and I'm grateful. And I'm, of course, grateful to God. So uh, it's, it's just a wonderful thing. So uh, Palm Sunday is a, is, a, is a unique service for me to preach. I think some of you know this because I've said it before. Uh, these services that are sort of built in a box are hard for me. Uh, I struggle with sort of the thing that, that everybody expects me to do, then doing it. And Palm Sunday, Easter, Christmas, some of these services, I'm like, okay, how do we make this uh, relevant to now? How do we make it something not fresh, but something that we can be passionate about that's not just more tradition? Now, I, I love tradition. I love having tradition. I, I've done an entire series all around the importance of tradition, but but one of the things we talked about when we, when we did that series was that tradition can become rote and tradition can create a real dryness to what the actual celebration is supposed to be about. And so I worry that Palm Sunday and Easter and some of these, some of these kind of routine Christian celebrations have lost some of their flavor because everybody sort of knows what's going to happen and why it's going to happen and they just, they just got it. So they're going, they're going to check it out. They got lunch after church with their kids and with their spouse and with their friends. And it's like, let's do this thing. Let's get through worship and get through the sermon and get through closing and, and let's get out there and, and get back into our lives. And, and I don't know if that's the point of these. And so what I want to do is I want to read to you the traditional Palm Sunday story because it's beautiful and it's important. And then I want to talk about uh, something else. So Matthew chapter 21 Verse 1, this is what it says. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. 
untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him and that, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. It's a powerful, powerful story. And some of the other context that needs to be laid within the story is the idea that Lazarus, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and Lazarus coming out of the tomb all in his bandages, that there is a whole crowd that has been following Jesus because that happened just a few days before this story. So there is a crowd, a wave of people following Jesus as he moves into Jerusalem and a wave of people already in Jerusalem getting ready to celebrate there. So there's this crash of people with Jesus in the middle. And it's this beautiful, great welcoming of people who believed in Jesus' movement because they saw his miracles, they saw his purpose, they saw what he was about. These are all people who are outside the city. Then there are people who are inside the city celebrating the tradition, celebrating the religion. They were there because every single year they were supposed to be there. And there's this crash of people in the middle where Jesus says, those who are out are now in and those who are already in are more in. And there's this really beautiful welcoming of, of all this stuff that's happening inside it. And this is Palm Sunday. And I love it. I think it's important. But what really grabbed my heart was what happened directly after this. Because oftentimes, when you're moving people, when you're, when you're building crowds and momentums, it is more important to talk about what you do next than just how you get there. How you build that crowd, how you build that momentum. And so Jesus has an opportunity. He's rode into the city, he's brought people from outside, he's, he's won over the people inside. It is this beautiful celebration that we all celebrate today. And then we, we often just leave it there. We're like, so let's talk about this great welcoming. Let's talk about how we welcome Jesus into our lives. Let's talk about even from a clever perspective, whether you're outside or you're inside. You're a church solid person, and you're like, oh, here comes Jesus. Or you're somebody on the outside who's like, you won't believe what Jesus just did. I'm with him. Let's talk about it. And it's awesome, and it's beautiful, and it's Palm Sunday. But what I love about the story is not just that. It's what Jesus does next with it. It says that the very next thing Jesus does when he's got this crowd is go to the temple. He goes to the place that most represents uh, everybody's belief, everybody's kind of core uh, 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 tenets of their, of their truth. And he walks into the temple, and there inside the temple, following him and already existing, are a whole bunch of people that matter very much. They matter to his movement. They matter to what he's going to do next. They matter to documenting who he is and, and all that's about to follow over that next week as it leads to the cross, which we'll celebrate on Good Friday on the resurrection, which we'll celebrate on Easter. There's three obvious groups of people. First, it says that there's those who bought. These were 
people who were customers. These were people who knew that they had a need to be met, and so they went to the temple, which at this point had been turned into a place of commerce, and they bought and filled those needs. And these people could provide incredible insight for Jesus into his movement because these people knew what was happening in the city because they were from all over the countryside. They had gathered in this place. So Jesus could convince these people that he was God. They would all leave the temple, leave the city, and go home, spreading his movement out into the countryside. So there were those who bought. Then there were those who sold. These were people who would be helpful because they knew what it was like to feel something go from nothing to something. They were the entrepreneurs. They were people who saw these people that had a need, and they were like, you know what, I'm going to build something with my life. I'm going to build something with my purpose. And so they started showing up every single day and setting up booths and meeting the needs of the people around there. And these people could have been very helpful for Jesus because entrepreneurs are, are people who can watch something go from, from nothing to something and believe in it. They were people who could make or break his movement because they could speak to what was working. So you've got the customers, people who could speak to what was happening, in the temple, milling around, people from all over that could take Jesus' message out. You've got those who sold, the entrepreneurs. These were people that knew how the city worked. They lived in the city. They understood the city. They had great insight into how the city operated, and they knew what it meant to feel sort of starting something from the grassroots, which is what Jesus needed. He was there to really kind of capitalize on this movement over the last three years to reveal who he was to the world. And then lastly, you've got the scribes and the Pharisees. These were people uh, of great influence. These were people who had the undeniable ability to uh, draw attention. They are the influencers. Okay, they are the Instagrammers of the first century world. They're the policy makers. They are the ones who, uh, with little effort, could move his agenda way, way, way out because people couldn't help but be drawn to them. And these people... They knew what was important. So you've got the customers as Jesus enters, the people who knew what was happening in the city because they were from all over. You've got the uh, entrepreneurs in the city. These were the people who knew how the city worked and could tangibly build something for Jesus. And then you've got the scribes and Pharisees, the influencers, the people who could determine what was important. These are the people, some of which are existing in the temple, as he leads these two colliding crowds to a place and first speaks to them. Matthew 21, 12 through 13 says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And then he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. There's such amazing opportunity here. Clearly Jesus missed it. Clearly he doesn't quite understand the influence and the know-how and the wisdom and the metrics these people could provide to him in order to build his movement. I mean, this was the center of culture. Jesus should have won over this room more than any other. And yet he shows up, and he doesn't. He starts by physically clearing out the customers and the entrepreneurs. He says, basically, this place I've invited you all into is not one of goods and services. And he proclaims that you can't sell or buy your way into a relationship with God. This is Jesus doing what I think a lot more churches need to be doing, and that is openly proclaiming that the system is broken. 
that we're not very good at loving the marginalized, that we're really not that good at loving the weak, and that if we're really honest, much of the time we hide within our tradition and what's comfortable to invite our friends and family to hide within the tradition and what's comfortable. We build walls around our churches and we exclude and we include and we have a lot of power and control that way. Jesus, for some reason, decides that uh, that's not how his ministry is going to work. He's going to turn the system upside down. Even the money changers and the pigeon sellers, which were people who primarily perpetuated this dysfunctional system, have everything overturned. He runs these people out. We always read this passage, and then we just rip through it, and then we just move on. But we got to understand, there had to be a minute where the dust settled, because it says, like, Jesus actually drew them, flipped their tables. Like, this isn't... He went from like peace on a donkey, I'm cool, we're cool, everybody's cool, you're all included, you're all included, let's go to the temple. And all of a sudden he's like, oh no. See, this is the beauty of how the church is supposed to operate. It's supposed to live in this peaceful donkey riding place and it's supposed to be turning temple tables every once in a while. It's just sometimes hard to know which and when. Jesus does this, and I like to imagine that there's all this dust settling, there's all this yelling, there's frustrated people, there's scrambling, there's a bunch of people trying to figure out what is going on right now, and in the midst of the dust, like a beautiful anime, there's just Jesus, like a really sweet pose. You can imagine the pose, I don't need to imagine yours, but mine's very like superhero pose, like he lands, right, and there's dust, right, and there's sun sparkling in, and there's people going, what just happened? Somewhere in the background, there's a lonely donkey. Because <laughs> it never says what happened to him. He's supposed to get returned, but you don't know when, so maybe he's there. You don't know. Maybe Jesus rode that donkey into those tables and did sort of a, like, you know, you don't know. You don't get to know, and neither do I. That's why we get to imagine it. So there's a space, but there's a space. There's a space between that and what happens next. Look at the very next verse, verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. (laughs) So out of all these thousands and thousands and thousands of people, the excluded who followed him in from Lazarus, the included who were there to celebrate the religious ceremonies, Jesus leads this crowd to the temple, and he removes all of the important people, all of the people that mattered. And all of a sudden, in that space, for some reason, blind and lame people were like, I think I belong in there. It's, it's just incredible when you just let your mind... Like, who went first? Was it a really well-known temple lame man or a blind woman? Who, who went first? Who, who said, tell me what's going on? And they said, Jesus just, like, cleared everybody. And he's just standing there in the middle of the room on his knees, and there's sparkly dust everywhere and light. <laughs> and he's got this cloak, and it's just blowing in the wind. It's unbelievable. And there's still the donkey in the back. It's just incredible. Like his powerful super animal friend. I don't know what's going on. And this person's like, I need to go see him. And so she or he climbs into the room. And Jesus looks up and everyone's wondering, like, what's he going to do now? If he didn't want all these people, he's certainly not going to want them. And something in Jesus' face changes. And he walks over and he lifts her face. And her blindness disappears. And she weeps. And the room goes crazy with broken, sad people. 
(laughs) It's like after Jesus arrives, there starts to be this quiet exchange. Instead of customers, Christ welcomes the blind people first. I want to just point out that blind people are also people like customers who have a need to be met. These are the ones who could see what was happening literally before their eyes. Instead of entrepreneurs, Christ welcomes the lame. These were people like entrepreneurs, these lame people who knew what it was like as Jesus healed them to see something go from nothing to something. Whether it's a withered hand or broken back, they saw their lives transformed. And there's more and more of these people all around. And Jesus is healing and touching and there's pandemonium and emotion and crying and joy and all of a sudden a little bit of frustration over in the corner. You can always feel when a room changes like that, at least from this perspective. You can feel, and some of you have done this to me, where I'll have a sermon or I'll have a message and then there'll be four or five of you and you're like fighting it emotionally or spiritually. The Holy Spirit's all about that. Like he's like, real quick, you 99, pause. I'm coming for you, bro, in the back row. Or you at home that's not listening right now or pretending not to listen while you sit in your coffee and make your, your morning coffee. There's some tension in the back room. And it's those Pharisees and scribes again. Matthew 21, very next verse. I'm not bouncing around. I'm just reading the story how it unfolds. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Let's just keep it right there. For what it's worth, the chief priests and scribes are frustrated by the wonderful things happening. It doesn't say they're frustrated because it's, it's, it's wrong or it's frustrated because people are being hurt or they're frustrated because there's good things. It, no, no, none of those things. They're frustrated by the wonderful things happening. If there is any group of people, any group, that I enjoy watching leave the church we are all a part of, it's the people frustrated by the wonderful things happening here. There are too many marginalized people. There's people of different lifestyles. I don't think this is very appropriate. Yes, but can you show me in the Bible? I just know. But what you're describing sounds incredible. Well, I just don't feel like I fit anymore. Ah, because the inclusive and the exclusive has suddenly become one and it doesn't really feel that safe. If you're frustrated with the wonderful things God is doing in your life, if you're frustrated by like, by like your mind being ripped open to see the world with a different worldview, meaning your worldview is broken, meaning maybe the legacy you've even taught your, children's has to be, your children have to be reevaluated. That's a painful, scary place. But if you're frustrated by that beautiful thing called growth and spiritual transformation, I'm just here to tell you, you belong. But if you're going to run away and claim that that stuff is somehow reason for continued exclusion or continued judgment or continued prejudice or continued uh, self-righteousness, then, then yeah, it probably feels really uncomfortable to have your white robe soiled by lame and blind people all around Jesus and that donkey that just won't leave. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> 
Instead of national influencers, people who could help him, Jesus welcomes the local children. They said to him with indignancy, and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. So this concludes the Palm Sunday. So there's like this opening, welcoming Palm Sunday, and then there's, that we traditionally talk about, and then there's this little thing. And I want to sit in this passage right here, where these people complain about this wonderful thing happening, and then Jesus addresses them and says, the children in the room are exactly doing what they're supposed to. And I'll put it on the screen again. Instead of the national influencers, Jesus welcomes the local children. Who, by the way, like the scribes and Pharisees, also had an undeniable built-in ability to draw attention. Because kids do that. And when kids start worshiping, when kids start praising, when kids start citing verses, you know it's of God because they don't know anything. They're just sticky-faced kids in the back watching the show. And all of a sudden, they're filled with God's presence and start in a sense, prophesying, in a sense, citing verses. And the people who are supposed to be there to recognize it are like, this is too wonderful for us. And Jesus is like, yeah, I bet. And he uses those children. He uses those children to be an example of people who, what the Pharisees and scribes should have been, which is a group of people to respond to what's important. I mentioned earlier that when Jesus entered the temple, he was being watched and listened to. I mentioned that there were people in the temple and around the temple who were very important to his movement and who mattered very much. I just think most of us, and this is not, this is not a accusatory, this is just human. Most of us thought it was the first list of people that we talked about. The customers and the entrepreneurs and the scribes and Pharisees. But really the people that Jesus went to see in the temple were these people. These were the people that mattered very much to his movement. The blind people, who for the rest of their lives would walk around and tell people about this Jesus that brought sight to their eyes. And then entire passages would be built by the apostles and disciples after, all about Jesus wanting to bring blindness away from your heart and bring sight to it in its place. And it'd be backed by stories after stories after stories of people healed in the temple by Jesus. The people who mattered were the lame people, of course. These people who would go on not to break, but very much so make the movement of Christ. For they displayed his actual power in their lives. And when the message of Jesus, long after his physical body was gone, came into a village, you bet, you bet there would be a blind person there or someone who knew a blind person there. Even 50, 60, 70 years, somebody's grandpa, they'd go get and set him around the campfire at night. And they'd say, we have people in this village that need to change their lives, but it's too hard. And he would go, no, no, no. You should know what God can do. This hand used to be withered and now it is strong. And he would tell that story of when he was a little sticky-faced kid in the temple. And Jesus fixed him. And the movement would spread. And then, of course, you've got the children who don't even realize they're part of the game. Those children who sat in the back and watched this prince of peace walk into the city and go to the temple, those children who were the only ones probably who were small enough to get through the crowd so they could watch the healing of the blind and the lame. 
It's like they slowly just were exchanged for all the holy places and all the rabbis and all the Pharisees and all the religious people and slowly it just, there's just children between your legs and around you and they're gross and they smell bad and so you create space for them and next thing you know, there's an entire crowd of them on the inner circle and they're all looking at each other and they see the face of Jesus and they see their friend who was healed and they all of a sudden realize together, this is somebody important. We should sing to him. I always want to know who went first. Who's the first sticky face singer? Because I promise he knows who he is in heaven right now. You'll meet him one day, I think. You'll be like, so, you know, I heard you were like, New Testament, you lived your life. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm the, I'm the sticky face singer. What? You're the first person to sing in the temple? No way. And he's like, yeah, it's not a big deal. I mean, there's no pride in heaven, but I'm pretty proud of it. I'm just being honest. <laughs> Jesus gave me that donkey. I still have him. He lives in my house. It's amazing. <laughs> This is all very extra biblical, but driving home the point. These children, these children would be the ones with little effort to move his agenda into the farthest regions because children believe, they, they see and they touch and they feel and they talk. And so as they went home in all their caravans, all these kids would have done is said, and then this happened, Dad, and then this happened, and then this guy's hand, and then this lady all of a sudden, and then now, oh, and then we started singing, Hosanna, 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 and they're like, God, we know, we know you've told us, I know, but you should have seen it, Dad. And the tradition goes, and all of a sudden, the message is spread. This is how our God works. And it's with this perspective on this fine Palm Sunday, the question should no longer be, how do we get to the temple of the Lord? How do we get close to Jesus? How do we, how do we sit and in his presence? How do we welcome him? These are all very important things, very, very valuable things. They're just very only half a Palm Sunday story things. You see, we're all very much sitting in the temple right now. The question is, what role are we and you playing in the crowd? Are you functioning as a customer? Are you insatiable for more? Trying to fill the void in your story? Trying to, trying to fix things and mistakes you made? Are you in the temple right now today? I'm, I'm not being accusatory because I am all these things and also none of these things and I think so are you. But you got to own the portions of your life that are what they are or you can never really expose them to God for him to do with them what he wants to do. And so if you're a customer, you're here today to shop our church. You're watching online and you're deciding if our presentation's good enough and our cameras are HD enough for you to engage with God. <laughs> or you're just visiting and, and that's okay too. So then you have to decide, are you shopping your church? Are you just visiting with a friend and so you're going to go back to your church, but are you there just sort of shopping for the weekly grocery list of spiritual things that you need in order to stock the shelves of your life so you can feel content in case a storm or problem comes? Maybe you're an entrepreneur. Maybe you're busy building your own temporal kingdom. You're not shopping here because you don't need anybody here. You certainly don't need me. And I would agree. But you are actually more of a professional Christian or a, a professional human. Your life's all about checks and balances and weighing whether or not this belief system, uh, how does it match up with another belief system? How will my friends think of this? I'm busy building my story and building my kingdom and I know what's going on in this city and I like to meet other people's needs because it makes me feel good. And the only real reason you have for church is to check a list to make sure you don't miss the opportunity 
to sell a little bit more of whatever it is you're creating. Maybe you're an influencer. You're a leader. You're someone with uh, funds you can give, you can, you can open doors. Maybe you're good at naturally kind of drawing attention to yourself. People like to be around you, but the problem is you also like to be around you. <laughs> I have some influencer friends. That's the only problem with influencer friends is they, they, after a while, start influencing themselves. Like, people think I'm great, so I've decided I'm great. You're like, I heard a story about a friend who, a friend of mine who found this guy uh, just a few years older than him. And he said, man, you just have such a gift with business and funds and giving. And the guy's like, yeah, thanks, man. I've been told that. My friend was like, you think we could go to coffee and I could, like, pick your brain on how you influence people? You know, he's a Christian guy for the kingdom. And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. So they had two or three coffees. And then my friend said to him, you know, I'd love to do a little bit more outside of this. You know, uh, maybe, maybe we could hang out a little bit more. And the guy goes, I don't understand what you mean. And my friend said, well, I, I'd love to just, I'm really growing in, like, love for you. Like, I really would love to do more brotherly things together. And he goes, oh, man, I'd love to, but you couldn't afford to hang with me. And he goes, like, the things I do are, like, like, I don't just go to the basketball game. I go to, like, courtside. And the restaurants, I go to, like, back room. And, like, like I just take off and go travel. Like, I mean, I love mentoring you and stuff, but you, we're not, like, the same. I don't know if we have people in the room watching like that. I hope we do so you can hear the message that, that God has a bigger plan than just that castle you're building. Because one day the Bible says your soul will be called of you and all the stuff in your barn will belong to somebody else. I don't know if you're these things, customers, entrepreneurs, influencers. I don't know who you are in the temple. Maybe you're one of the inside religious crowd watching all that. Maybe you're somebody from the outside who doesn't even know what's going on here but you feel something in your heart. And maybe it's time for you to accept that you are welcome just as you are and that you don't have to put a label on your spiritual walk, which means you exist in the midst of your sticky faces. Maybe you're a blind woman wishing to see beyond your circumstances, wishing to, to understand how to navigate that marriage or that child or that joblessness or that grief or that anxiety Maybe you just want to see something other than what's drowning you. Maybe you're a lame man. We probably got a few of those in our church. <laughs> I didn't know if I should do like lame woman and blind man, but lame woman just, it didn't sound nearly as easy to say. Like maybe you're a lame woman. I like blind woman, lame man, because both those people are searching for healing and wholeness. You're, you're looking for these wounds that you've been carrying to, to be healed once and for all. But the problem is you keep showing up to all the things that, that the world says. You've you got to go buy something like a customer. You've got to find an entrepreneur that can help you. You've got to go find a spiritual guru who can give you the key when in reality all you've got to do is crawl your broken body forward to the feet of Jesus who's sitting there waiting for you in the center of the temple. Or... Maybe it's time for you to just be a curious child. Maybe it's time for you to just sit where you are right now and unabashedly influence and bring change to those around you. Maybe being a curious child means you leave a little bit of whatever's on your face there. 
Stop pretending that you're adult when really you're just a nine-year-old with a lollipop. Because when adults sing Hosanna, it's powerful. That's what happened when Jesus came into the city. But with children sing Hosanna, lives are changed. And maybe having a childlike heart is more about having a childlike voice than singing a childlike song in a way that you don't try to pretend you're these other things when you're not. You're just a blind woman, a lame man, or a sticky-faced child. And maybe people around you can't see the gospel in your life. Maybe. I don't know. But I hope this offends you if it's you because I know it's been me before. Maybe the reason can't see the gospel in your life so well is because you are so pristine about presenting it. I don't want to mess it up. I want to read the right verse. Got to make sure I have the right translation. Got to make sure I say it the right way. And these people are covered in muck from the streets of poor experience. And they watch you walk in and they're like, I'm, I can't even sit at the same table with you. And so maybe what it's about instead is pulling off that mask and saying, hey, this is me for real. My marriage could be better. My story's kind of sloppy. I wrestle with God all the time. But overall, I just wanted you to know that I am loved and that it's going to sound awkward, but that I, that I love you. Maybe that's your life song. Maybe that's your life's purpose. Maybe it's to proclaim that through Christ's presence, you are welcome in the temple of the Lord as you are. And the only way that people are really going to believe that you believe that is if you're honest about how you got there. You're not a customer. You're not supposed to be. You're not an entrepreneur. You're not supposed to be. You're not some religious zealot. You're not supposed to be. You are just someone who wants to see, who wants to be whole, and who wants to be accepted just as they are singing their song, smiling around while the rest of the world says, that offends me because it's far too wonderful. Like how epic would that be if that's what Kess's story was about? We got to do something about this church. It's just way too wonderful. How amazing would it be if it wasn't about the church at all, it was about you where you're at ushering people into the temple of the Lord because of the love you have for them. You see, I started off by telling you Palm Sunday is a great welcoming, and it is. But like everything else Jesus does, it's a bit more upside down than we figured at first glance. Because you see, Palm Sunday is not a celebration we give to welcome Christ into our lives. It's a celebration he stepped into to welcome us. When he enters the city, we think it's about us bringing him to the center or us driving him to the temple, but really, it's about him. Saying, you guys, come with me. You guys, come with me. It's about walking into the temple and pulling everybody out that could possibly offer you anything else but his presence. And then in the midst of that place, it's about welcoming everybody in first that has never felt included or apart or whole or powerful or needed or desired. And in the midst of that weakness, there's this great healing that happens and these people all become something different than they were and their message becomes the gospel of Jesus Christ and their message becomes the movement of the Lord and their message, their message has passed from generation to generation to generation without missing even one single generation till we're here right now. <laughs> 
that we are welcome. That we always make this book about us doing something, performing something. Here's some palm branches. Here's our song. Clear the path. Jesus, look what we did. I coordinated this event. We built this church. God, you must really love us. Because we are so smart. Look how shiny our robes are and how many verses I can quote. I've been in church 35 years. I give all kinds of money. People know me as a Christian. And Jesus is like, cool. Who's that person lying behind you that you stepped over to get here? He's like, oh, that's, that's awesome. Could you just scoot over a little bit? Or could you, could you help that person off the ground that you... Well, that you didn't want to touch. Maybe you flipped a coin, but you actually didn't touch. You didn't look into their eyes and hear and see them. Could you bring them a little bit closer to me? Maybe we are supposed to be people that take off our robes and set down our palm branches and just sit at the feet of Jesus as we're supposed to. And maybe from that place, it becomes all about him and not at all about us. All about his welcoming. Not, all, not at all about what I did. This is what I believe Palm Sunday is supposed to do. Because when you see that Jesus is the one that welcomes and heals you, the power of Good Friday and the cross that he suffers, and then Easter that we're going to celebrate in a grand fashion, I'm so excited, becomes so much more poignant. Especially, I'm going to close with this, especially if you see Good Friday and Easter through the eyes of of a freshly sighted person, a freshly walking person, or a small child who said, but wait, he loves me. And then you see them scourge him and beat him and pierce him and hang him out. If you see it through those eyes and your heart is shattered because of the love that you experienced from him on Palm Sunday just a week earlier, you will be driven into a place, driven into a place where the gospel grows roots so deep and rich in your life, you could never be disconnected from the vine. I wonder who Jesus, when he came back and presented himself to the apostles, I wonder who else he presented himself to. It's just me, but I kind of wonder if it's these people. I kind of wonder if he showed up in the house of the blind woman and he was like, what's up? And she's like, I thought, I wonder if he took time to meet with all these people who experienced him in the temple. And I wonder if there's some off script, go and tell my story. Go and share the message. Go and preach the gospel. You won't get the credit like these other boys do. But you'll know and I'll know that you did what you're supposed to. I wonder. I don't know. Neither do you. And I wonder how many people in this room right now are supposed to do the same. So I'm going to leave you with that question. I'm going to ask for all your heads to bow. And I'm just going to ask you to reflect for just a moment. Lord, there's a lot of stories in this room, a lot of pages that have turned and are yet to be turned. A lot of paths, a lot of questions, a lot of doubts, a lot of fears. And Lord, there is no way that as people uh, move on in their traditions and their celebrations that that we could offer them anything other than you and your Holy Spirit's presence to manage, to execute, to share, to sing, and to live out the story that you've called them to live out. God, I ask that we would not be distracted by the things we've built with our own hands, by the things we've purchased, 
by the self-belief we've put around us that we are what matters and we are the influencers. Instead, Lord, what I ask is we would recognize that you are the one welcoming us. You are the one lifting us. You are the one holding us. And that we are just here to sit in your presence. And so I lift that song to you now. I lift that moment to you now. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.
nothing else, oh nothing else, nothing else will do, I just want you, nothing else, oh nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do, would you stand with us as we sing this out? Oh, nothing else, no, there's nothing else, nothing else will do, I just want you, nothing else, we declare this, oh, nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do. that true in our hearts. Let us set everything else aside and focus on you. On your love. On what this upcoming week represents. The new life that you give. Though we didn't deserve it, you chose us. We're so thankful for that. Be with us now as we go from this place. We love you so much. In your name we pray, amen. Can we just give him some glory one more time? Come on. So good to worship with all of you. Again, no service next Thursday. We have a good Friday service at 5 and 7, then Saturday at 6.30, and then the normal Sunday, 9 and 11. We hope to see you at one of those services. Have a great week.